Hello, my friends, and welcome to another episode of A Tiny Revolution, a podcast about ordinary folks living revolutionary lives. My name is Kevin Garcia. It's been a minute, and I would say that I'm sorry, but I'm not, because you know what? I prize my mental health above all things. And so I took the space that I needed, and um, I'm not going to anthropologize for that. <laughs> I will say that I am sorry. I am behind on so many things right now. Uh, I was in a car wreck a few weeks ago and told my car, and that was pretty shitty and terrible. And then I had to move at the same time. And then my mother came in town, and I uh, got a bunch of new clients. So I'm, I'm kind of a... Whew, goodness gracious. I have a lot uh, um, going on right now. And I also had some medical bills come out of nowhere because, you know, the... <laughs> Uh, why, why would they ever put me in an ambulance that was in my network? Um, so that's, you know, that's the American healthcare system for you. Anyways, uh, I love you and I'm really glad you're here. Um, I'm going to be sharing on my social media in probably tomorrow uh, about ways if you want to help out, if you can throw me a couple bucks, that would be so dope. Um, and there'll be like a little link in the show notes too. Yeah. Check the link in the show notes. That'll be helpful. All right. Uh, I don't really have any announcements beyond that. Oh, yes, I do. Uh, I'm going to be delaying my workshop as a result of all these things. So it's going to be first week of next month. So literally just about a two week delay. Um, so if you bought your ticket, it's still going to be good. I apologize. Yeah, for being behind. Sorry, I can't do it. I'm a one woman show over here. Ah, okay. Now that I've gotten over all that guilt, um, I want to say I love you and I'm glad you're here. We are so close to the end of election season. I've already voted. I voted early here in Georgia. And if you are out there and you haven't got your absentee ballot in or mailed in your ballot or voted early, what are you doing? You got time? A lot of places have voting all the way into the evening, on the weekends, on Sundays, and we ain't going to church right now anyway, so what are you doing? Get your ass out there and make sure you are voting for um, Biden and Kamala Harris. Make sure you're voting uh, Democrat up and down the ticket to make sure that we can take back the House, keep the Senate, uh, get back the White House, and hopefully maybe, you know, stave off whatever happens if Amy Coney Barrett gets uh, confirmed, which lulls, not really lulzy, but what are you going to do, right? Anyways, I, uh, I love you and I want to thank you for joining me today. I'm really excited about this conversation because this is actually the first time Chris Steadman is going to be on the podcast, but we actually had an incredible conversation years ago when I, uh, you know, I was saving everything locally to a laptop and not anything to a cloud. And uh, sadly, um, it was like Pride weekend and I got my bag stolen out of my car. And with that, I lost the interview with Chris Steadman. And then funny enough, Chris Steadman's life, you know, kind of got really complicated. My life got really complicated and we weren't able to reconnect until very recently when, uh, you know, we finally slid back into each other's DMs, you know, uh, not like that, but you know, maybe like that in the future. Uh, I'm so lonely. Can you tell? Just kidding. Um, I'm not kidding that I'm lonely, but I'm going to stop doing that. Anyways, let me tell you about Chris Steadman and their incredible career. Chris Steadman is a Minneapolis. Mm -hmm. I can read. Chris Steadman is a Minneapolis-based writer, speaker, and community organizer. He's the author of IRL and the book Faithiest. 
an intimate and deeply affecting portrait that he proves he is an activist in the truest sense and the one to watch. That's what the book list from Starred Reviewed says. Chris has been a voice on CNN, MSNBC, PBS, Fox News. He's written for publications like The Guardian, The Atlantic, BuzzFeed, Pitchfork, Vice, CNN, MSNBC, and The Salon, The Advocate, USA Today, The Huffington Post, The Rumpus, Into the Law, sorry, The LA Review of Books, Catapult, The Washington Post, and he's the founding director of the Humanist Center of Minnesota. Uh, He's the, I mean, like, Chris is like, just such a cool human. Um, He shares a lot of uh, the background of people on the show, which he'll um, share during our talk. Uh, Some of the evangelical background, finding your faith, losing your faith. And what's so wonderful is that I just like love talking to Chris about like the possibility of humanity um, because that's really what we both believe in here. So it's one of those things where it's just like, oh my God, am I an atheist? Who can say? Well, no. I'm not an atheist, I know that. But anyways, that's enough. Maybe I am. Who can say? (laughs) Oh, God. Anyways, I love you so much. So why don't you go get something to drink? Get your favorite snuggly clothes, because I know you're working from home, probably. Or maybe you're listening to this on the drive to work. Or maybe you're listening to this at your shitty job that you hate. Or maybe you're listening to this while you study. I don't know where you are. But wherever you are, you're in good company. So... Get comfortable, get ready for this wonderful conversation with one of my good internet buddies, Chris Stedman. Fun fact for all the humans who are going to listen to this later. Um, Chris and I had a, a brilliant conversation like three years ago or so. Something yeah. like that, two or three years ago? Three, yeah. Um, and I remember specifically because it was around October. And the reason I remember that is because um, I was dating my uh, partner at the time. And that was just a shitty, shitty, shitty situation the entire time. Uh, but that's a whole nother story for another time. And shortly after our conversation, I had my laptop stolen out of the back of my partner's car on Pride Weekend in Atlanta. And I lost my interview because it ha- I saved it. It was on the computer. It wasn't saved to any cloud drive. And we weren't able to get back on the line for a long time because your life was happening to you. And here we are three years later. I know. I still, I wonder if one day that interview will turn up. And I mean, I appreciate you saying it was brilliant, but um, I can't help but wonder if you're just like slightly romanticizing at least my brilliance. Um, I, so I kind of hope it never turns up because I can I can imagine you somehow coming across it 20 years from now and listening to it and being like, mm, just okay. <laughs> <laughs> it probably like, because like, what's interesting is like, so much of like my own like personal, my own life and like my own worldview and perspective, you know, faith has shifted so much in the past three years. Yeah, I, um, wonder, I wonder what it would be like to go back and listen to that now for both of us honestly yeah i still can't help but wonder if it's like so like you know some band that has this like legendary lost album that they recorded and and the tapes were lost and then they find it and they're like really (laughs) like that's what we were searching for the whole time yeah exactly this was the holy grail it's just a wooden cup 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but and guess what? You can't ever leave after you, you when you find the tape, you can't leave the thrift you can't find the pawn shop. You can't leave it. Like you're <laughs> stuck there forever. Um, yeah. and if you leave, um the whole city will collapse. That's what happens. Well, we don't want that. Yeah. So don't go looking for the lost tapes, guys. We're we're just here to tell you it's cursed. Yep. And we're not gonna we're not gonna try and recreate that cursed interview. Yeah. Uh, we're starting fresh here. Yeah, fresh, fresh times. It was a it was a hard time for me back then. And like, you know, it wasn't my favorite. Time. <laughs> it wasn't my favorite time in my life either, which is funny to be saying in 2020, the like most oh my God. first year of all time. But which yeah. is so fun. Like I, I tell people, I'm just like, I know that this year has been shitty for so many reasons, but it's like, I look at my life three years ago and I'm just like, I wouldn't go back. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, honestly, my circumstances have been worse this year, but mm. well, no, my circumstances weren't great in 20, 2017, three years ago either. But my, but regardless of circumstances, my like where my head's at, my mm-hmm. mindset is much better now yes. than three years ago. Agreed. So, congratulations, everyone! You're getting us on a high on, in a high space right now. We're doing. Well, I don't, really yeah, well. I don't want to set the bar or, of expectations too high here. You know, I still have my moments. Uh, oh. let's let's be clear, girl. Like two weeks ago, I was. Um, my my roommate and I had to have a hard discussion and I like high key like it hit like my abandonment issues oh sure um but and see, you can recognize that now could you have three years ago I don't know absolutely but... not yeah three years ago I would have just been mad and like blown up and like you know had panic attacks but not knew that they were panic attacks you know what I'm saying <laughs> right. oh yeah so now I recognize them and I can talk myself down and like yep. it's like a 24-hour recovery period versus like a 21-day recovery period. Yeah, I, um, you know, I, I first went to therapy when I was 13 um, because I had, uh, well, mm. I, I would like to say I'd come out to my mom, but she found my journal. Right. Forever. Oh, <laughs> no. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, she, and, and, but she did everything right. And then some, you know, I, and you probably remember from our conversation three years ago, um, well, who knows? Maybe you don't. But, you know, I I mm-hmm. didn't grow up religious. I became an evangelical on my own when I was 11. Mm-hmm. And I, I it was because I was invited to this non-denominational evangelical youth group. Um, and my mom was not a Christian. And so she sort of watched me transform from this very kind of outgoing, gregarious child to this very withdrawn child as I was, as I was really struggling with my sexual orientation mm-hmm. and my faith. And so right. she kind of went looking for information. She was trying to find, figure out what was going on with me. And so she found this journal. Right. And because my mom wasn't a Christian, she didn't really know how to support me in that. So she went mm-hmm. to the phone book, which is like super dating. Yo, the yellow pages. <laughs> uh-huh. And she, and because we were in Minnesota, you know, just from a numbers game perspective, she was going <laughs> to find a Lutheran church. Um, Thank God. Yeah, no, but she found a, she found, and she found an affirming minister and she took me to talk with him, um, mm-hmm. which was incredible. But then she also took me to, um, to go see a therapist. And, and so, you know, I've, I've on and off throughout my life, I've, I've not been afraid of therapy because of that, which has been mm-hmm. such a gift, but I've yeah. also moved around so much and been impulsive and, and, you right. know, followed my whims. And so I haven't had a consistent therapist really ever until three years ago when I started right. seeing the therapist I still, still see now. 
And I have reaped so, uh, so many dividends from mm-hmm. being the same therapist for three years. It's, it's exactly as you were saying three years ago. I couldn't recognize when, you know, I was going down certain paths, um, you know, when I was kind of spiraling in a certain way. And now I really can. And I feel equipped to be able to not only recognize it, but kind of redirect myself. Mm -hmm. And that is, that has made all the difference. Yeah. And you also talk so much about this, like, it's like, I was, I was totally expecting this book to be way more academic for some stupid reason, but like, <laughs> well, you, maybe you thought I was going to be smarter than I am. <laughs> that is not what I am saying. You're a professor. You're a professor at a college. Like, what are you trying? Like, like <laughs> you're, you're obviously quite intelligent. Um, but or the thing quite good at uh, fooling people. Listen, that's what I've been doing for years now. I keep <laughs> well, telling people. It's kind of the queer way, isn't it? It's like, we oh, yeah. all. We learn to move through the world as chameleons. And so even when we are being like, when we are good at something or what, we still think that we're somehow just being a chameleon. We're still just fooling people. Right. Also, do you hear the lullaby of Atlanta in the background? Um, I do, but you know, I've lived in cities most of my life. So oh, yeah. I, found, so- I find that noise comforting, which is maybe like, oh, yeah. something to interrogate. <laughs> you know, talk <laughs> to your therapist. For someone. <laughs> yeah, your therapist of three years might have something to say about that. <laughs> oh, I'm sure he would. But I've also, I've also been with my therapist for three years as well. And like, I hit the jackpot on therapists. I don't know how the fuck I found her. I think uh-huh. I, I think I Googled. I've Googled her and she was like one of the first results. Because um, she's queer. Uh, a queer woman, married to another uh, queer woman. Uh, she what like you know is was raised methodist and is still very christian so understands the whole thing and also a high priestess witch and also non-monogamous wow and i was just like what i actually like i had a, a therapist back when i lived out east who um is a queer woman and totally was like this is exactly what i want and so when i'm you know because obviously like a non queer therapist is like not an option for me. Oh yeah. Same. <laughs> not, I not, tried to go to, a, I tried to go to a straight dude therapist one time. No. Yeah. And even the most it was just like, thing, like yeah. was not going to get it, which is fine. But yeah. I had, you know, I had this positive experience. And so I came back to Minnesota and I was like, well, obviously like I don't want a queer man. Like, but I, I've ended up with this queer man therapist who is just wonderful. Um, so I, you know, I'm glad I was open to that because <laughs> I, I originally wasn't thinking that was Hashtag not, not all queer men. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I found a good one. Um, they do exist. Well, I know. Well, my dating life might suggest otherwise. Girl. No, yeah. no, no, no. I'm, I actually am in a, I'm in, happily in a relationship right now, but. Gross. I, <laughs> whatever. Well, that was going to be my next thing was just like, hey, when you eventually run away to Georgia, you want to go, you want to get a drink sometime? That was going to be my next question. So fuck you, Chris. No, but I'm actually, I'm dating a religious man for the first time in my life, which is so funny because oh. when I, I told my friends, they were like, well, of course. Duh. And I'm like, okay, listen, I've actually never dated a religious man ever. Like not mm-hmm. once. This is literally a first. But you know what's so funny is like, I can always tell um my atheist friends like apart from my quote religious friends because that's like the language i'll use just like i'm dating a religious person now <laughs> i know well <laughs> but like i'm over here i'm just like man it would be so great to date an atheist because like i feel like i'm so messed up sometimes and they can just say you know that's just in your head <laughs> and they really believe it 
Here's the thing though, like, so every guy I've dated has been non-religious like me, but they've been non-religious in the sense that they like don't really care about it. And so they've always been, uh, it's almost been kind of that, like almost what you said there. They are, they've been supportive, but they haven't really like understood why I care mm -hmm. so much. And right. so the support's nice, but like, you know, it, what I found really refreshing about dating someone who is religious is that even if we don't see things in exactly the same way, um, we still think that the questions matter. We still like mm -hmm. care about them. Um, and, you know, he's like as obsessed with these things as I am. So even if we don't have the exact same sort of like conclusions about it, mm -hmm. I feel understood in the sense yeah. that he gets why I care. Mm. So listen, um, I need you to pray for that blessing to fall to me. I don't know how that's going to work on your end, but like, I'll ask, I'll ask my religious boyfriend to do. Oh so. my god! Thank you so much. <laughs> Honestly, listen. though, I'm. This might sound funny, but like, if I ever am talking to a friend and they're like going through a hard time or whatever, and they're like, mm -hmm. "Man, like prayer would be," I'm like, "Listen, I know just the person." And I have mm -hmm. passed along prayer requests to my boyfriend before. Absolutely, so. listen, like. I, I think that's brilliant. And I also feel like, um, I think that's like the, the reason like you and I vibe really well is because of the same thing of uh, like wanting and caring deeply about these questions because like we absolutely believe that it matters. Mm -hmm. And because it matters, like we really like, aren't afraid to dig deep to the, into these things. And like, yeah. and like, that's like also what I think is so like phenomenal about your writing in general. Like, I know that like, you're not like a preacher by trade, but just like you're writing, like you could read this on a pulpit and it would slap so well, that's, hard. <laughs> that's, I appreciate that. But that's also hilarious because I, so I had to take a preaching class when I was in theological school. No, you didn't. I did, yes, yeah. you did. And uh. I, I was taking it with like all future Christian clergy. And the question I got like every time I had to preach was like, so how is what you're doing preaching and not speaking? And I'm like, I don't know. You tell me I'm, I have to take this class. <laughs> like I'm just. And also just like, I want to look at them and ask the same question. What, right. the, what the fuck is the difference? Right. Yeah, I know. I know. But so anyway, it feels like vindication. Um, I realized I, I accidentally, which is like just my conversation style, I think, but I took us way off course here with a self-deprecating remark when you were like starting to actually direct us toward the book. My, the publicist <laughs> and the publisher are like probably so mad that I always do this. But um, No, like the thing about it is, is that um, I could be a better interviewer, but I also no, love no, you're just doing, talking. You're just doing your talking. job. You were like, you were trying to guide me toward the book. And I was like, well, I'm not smart. So let's talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, to draw back into that, there was a quote that specifically like I... I pulled like I highlighted all my favorites, but the one that really like stood out to me was something I also re um, resonated with was like um, you were talking about um, your mom found LGBTQ affirming Lutheran communities, and then you said, Can, "Do you do you care if I quote you? <laughs> do you care if I read to you? Is it weird? It's fine, it's fine." 
Those years in fundamentalist Christianity had a consequence that I didn't anticipate, which left a deep imprint on me. They taught me that the key to finding belonging was in constantly editing myself, or, or was to constantly edit myself, sorry, my brain, uh, to monitor my behavior and to filter every word, decision, through a risk assessment. How will others react to what I say, to who I am? Will they reject me if they see it all? And I was like, oh, we're still doing that, bitch. We might have gotten out of the youth group, but man, have yeah. I face-tuned my teeth to make them a little wider? Yes, <laughs> I have done that. I'll admit it. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I, yesterday, I, I, um, so it was suggested to me that I like do an unboxing video when the first copies of IRL came in. And so I, I recorded one yesterday. And honestly, it felt like the bravest thing in the world because I had this. You're so like, brave. I, I know. Well, I had this. I had pimples on my face, and I was like, you know what? We're gonna do it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> it, it did feel. I mean, it's so stupid. It, well, it isn't. It isn't stupid, but the, it, I mean, I I think that 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 thing, like, it goes right back to the chameleon thing, mm -hmm. um, and the same. You know, I think part of what, and I, I talk about this in IRL, but I think part of what draws so many queer people to the internet as a space for, mm -hmm. so you know, this, this book is all about how as more and more of us are leaving the kind of the, the institutions in which traditionally we have, you know, mm -hmm. found the meaning, belonging, and community. Yeah, exactly. And we're more and more of us are moving that work to the internet. And I wanted to understand, like, is, is that serving us like how does how does the mm -hmm. internet um help us understand ourselves better connect with others and sort of what new challenges arise in that what new opportunities mm -hmm. arise in that and so you know i and 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 i talk in the book about how a lot of queer people are drawn to the internet as a space for connecting and for making sense of their lives and i mean for a lot of us it's like since day one like i you know i grew up in this sort of in-between generation so i didn't mm -hmm. have the internet at home growing up but i could bike to the library and log on to the the shared computer for 20 minutes at a time before they yeah yeah i had you know an angel fire page all that stuff angel but, fire yes uh -huh. did you have a zanga did you have a zanga oh, i definitely had a zanga yes Listen, I, I only the OGs know what a fucking Zanga is. I tried to find it, but I hope it is also lost forever like our interview. Um, I mean, I don't think there's anything <laughs> terrible on there, but I just think it's more oh, God. earnest. It's a like too much. my high school boyfriend, probably, mostly. Anyway, um, but I, uh, where was I going with that? I, um, oh yeah, so, you know, I first came out to people online like that was the first place that I like as a young queer person found, you know, any sense of community. Um, and so, you know, I think for those of us who, for whom traditional institutions have failed us in some way, mm -hmm. which is just about everyone at some point, um, you know, it, it totally makes sense that we would turn to the internet, which we can sort of curate more of an experience that, um, you know, that serves us. But especially for queer people whose whole existence at some point becomes about kind of mm -hmm, curation, mm -hmm. um, I think it's a double-edged sword. And so what I, what I see in the internet, um, at, you know, and this was sort of where I landed after years of, of you know, um, and, and you know this from reading the book, mm -hmm. but years of doing various kinds of research, trying to look in kind of unexpected places, I came to, you know, because when we 
when it comes to the kind of cultural commentary on the internet, we have these utopians who say it's going to make us more human, um, you know, better versions of our, ourselves. It's going to make things possible that were never possible before. And then we've got these kind of doomsday prophets or apocalyptics who, are, who say that it's making us more narcissistic, more disconnected, more selfish, more isolated, yep, and yep, lonely, yep. all these things. And I, I kind of landed in the middle, um, which is not a new position. Um, I landed in, you know, in, with, with this sort of more utilitarian perspective, which is like, the internet's here, it's not going away. So how can we sort of be more mindful and thoughtful about how we use it? But what was new or what felt new for me was this sense that in the, because the internet is such a huge part of our lives now and also so new, it gives us this new opportunity to kind of go back to the drawing board and look at these age old questions of what it means to be human, what it means to belong and see them in a new way and see in our kind of un, you know, ungraceful attempts at being human online, what it is that we're actually trying to do. Yeah, I, I'm teaching this semester as, as um, you and I were talking about, and I really feel for a lot of my colleagues in the Department of Religion and Philosophy who have been teaching these classes for, for much longer than, I, I mean, obviously this is my first semester, and who are in the middle of this pandemic trying to take these classes they've been doing in a certain way and move them to fully online or mostly online. Um, whereas I sort of knew from the beginning of planning my class that it was going to be fully online. Um, but I also think, and this is sort of what I've heard from talking to many of them, that that has given them an opportunity to kind of go back to the drawing board and say, okay, what am I really trying to do with this class? Mm, right. and, and, and I think, you know, I talk in the beginning of the book, I tell this story about going to an amateur, amateur night drag show and seeing the queens on stage. I loved that story oh, so much. Also, it was a really brilliant way to open up the book. Oh, thank you. Oh, that's so nice. You know, when you're like working on a book, you just never know like if it actually works or not. And so, you know, this is one of the earliest conversations I'm having about the book. So thank you, <laughs> thank you for Aww. that validation. Um, but yeah, so, you know, I, you, I, I write about seeing these queens sort of trying something that they're not good at yet and and how you know in that there's all this possibility right you're you're gonna make mistakes you're gonna try things that don't work but you're also you get a chance to kind of see what it is that you're actually trying to do and I think online we're all sort of like queens on amateur night like we're we're all trying things that don't necessarily work but in that we are given an opportunity to see who we are a little bit and and get a better sense of what actually gives us a sense of fulfillment connection belonging um right. and, and in the years that i spent sort of trying to get a little bit more intentional about my digital life i found that it was this really fertile space for you know better understanding myself and the world around me so I think we have an opportunity to embrace that. But the, the mindless approach to the internet, which has been my approach for so much of my life, where I'm just sort of, and, and I think it has a lot to do with this message that we've heard that like online life is not real or is less real than other parts of our lives. I think that discourages us from treating our digital lives as a, as a rich space for you know understanding ourselves and the world around us. I, I think that message has done us a real disservice. And so... 
I hope the book, at least, you know, for anyone who reads it can function as a little bit of a corrective to say like, actually, this is real life. What happens online is real. It matters. And, and not only that, but it's a space where you can, you can actually, you know, come to better understand yourself if you reflect on this, this sort of new way of being human that we're all trying often poorly to, uh, to do. Mm. And thank you for coming to church, everybody. We will see you next Oh, whatever. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. I also had to move inside because apparently Tuesday morning's the day to do lawn work outside. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry that... Thank you for um, taking advantage of me getting, like, lost on one of my rambling, you know, tangents. Okay, can I, do you want to know what was really right. happening? I was trying to go inside about four times, and the wire kept getting crossed and stuck and I spilled my coffee oh, no. <laughs> well and a whole bunch of other things and then I finally was able to relocate inside so you did a like, magnificent job of letting me be none the wiser so <laughs> listen and that maybe that's the this reason we didn't have a video on today praise the lord hallelujah I mean the real reason we didn't have a video on just so people are clear is because my computer is awful and died no, you're just, your computer's just having a real hard time today my computer is having a 2020 year, honestly. All wow. of my technology is, my phone died, like oh. I, my one-year-old phone died a month ago and I had to get a replacement. And Jeez. I just, uh, I, need, um, I need someone to come just cleanse my life. Because <laughs> I, I think I'm I, <laughs> Listen, I will come in, I will bring all of the accoutrement, um, <laughs> we'll get your space cleansed out, you Thank know. You. Thank you. And uh, even if it's all bullshit, like, you know, I'll feel better. And I think you'll well, feel better, too. I mean, you you saw that in uh, uh, in reading the book, I'm sure. Like, I talked. You went, you went to go see a tarot card reader and you I, really wanted, you wanted it to be the tea. I did. Well, and it's, you know, the reason I wrote about that experience because is because, like, even though I don't, I don't believe in tarot, although, I mean, you know. Uh, when I say you don't got to justify anything to me. Don't no, me. I know. But I, what I'm saying is when I say I don't believe in it, it, and this is what I, this is, you know, what I say about God, what I say about any of that stuff is that like, so I just don't, I haven't been convinced, but it doesn't mean that I've like ruled out the possibility. Right. And I think mm -hmm. that there's a lot that I, there's so, so much that I don't understand that mm -hmm. I have completely missed so I certainly don't think that I've like got it all figured out and everyone else is just dumb and wrong. So but you would be like the, I, I've heard, correct me if I'm wrong, the, there's like, I don't know, therefore I cannot confess a belief in anything mm -hmm. rather than that, that brand of atheism versus I don't know, therefore I'm open to it, which is more of an agnostic leaning. Yes. Well, so actually, I mean, what, I actually like that framing a lot, but when I'm, when I'm teaching, um, I'll often use this kind of rubric when, and say like when it comes to the question of the you know of god's existence like is there a god or gods um there's essentially four broad categories that people fall into agnostic atheism gnostic atheism with a g as i always say to students mm -hmm. um agnostic theism and gnostic theism so i'm an agnostic atheist in the sense that i you know i don't currently believe that there is a God or gods, um, you know, based on what I've experienced, what I perceive in the world, what I've studied. Um, you know, and so I live as if there isn't. Um, I don't expect any sort of higher power to have any kind of influence on my life. But 
I'm also fully aware that there are real limitations to what I know right now, to what I even can know, given the sort of moment in human history in which I exist. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, and and I, I'm open to being wrong. Like, I'm very open to new information changing my mind. Whereas, Same. Like, you know, a Gnostic atheist is someone who would say, like, you can pretty definitively say that there isn't a God and here's why. Um, and, and this, you know, and then the same sort of categories exist on the theistic, theistic spectrum. Um, and I tend to find, and this, I guess, you know, sort of goes back to what I was saying about my boyfriend. Like, I feel mm-hmm. like I get along better with people who are on the agnostic side of the spectrum, whether they're an atheist or a theist, than I do with mm-hmm. people who, because basically, if you know, if you th- see it as quadrants, you know, one half is um, the sort of... Uh, theistic, atheistic, that's like about belief. Mm-hmm. Like, what do you believe and sort of how do you live in the world? Like you live as if or as um, as if there is or as if there isn't. But the mm-hmm. sort of, if you flip it the other way, those two halves are about certainty. Sort of how sure are you? Like, what is your relationship to the question? Is it live or is it set in stone? And ah. I feel like for me, this stuff is all very live. Like the door is never closed. Mm-hmm. But but so with, you know, with tarot, like I went to this reading being like, you know, normally under sort of normal circumstances of my life weren't like actively falling apart. <laughs> I would be like, I, I don't really give this that much credence like this, you know, but I sort of went in being like, nothing else, um, nothing is working right now. So like, let me give this a try. Like, let me be more open to this than I would mm-hmm. normally be. And, and I feel like that happens so much, at least for me online. It's like, I often, because I've been given this message that the internet's less real or not real, I've often sort of gone into my digital life thinking like, you know, this is not, this is not the same in all of these significant ways as what Mm -hmm. happens offline. But in my more, you know, sort of distressed moments or when I'm struggling, I've been like, you know what, I'm just going to give this a try anyway. And what I found is that I've been surprised by how real my life online can be. And so sometimes I think it's worth taking that leap of faith, even if you're, you know, you're sort of have this idea that it's not, it's not going to be as real. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, like that tarot reading. Yeah. I mean, you know, put aside the sort of like capital T truth of it. Like it gave me what I needed in that moment, um, mm-hmm. which is significant. It's significant. And I think the same happens so much, at least for me online. Yeah. So I did, a, there was an entire course I did, uh, which kind of like led, I, I took this course my second semester of seminary when I was an MDiv. And that's what actually made me switch to a practical theology degree because I realized, well, I'm practically getting this degree for free. I just don't want to be here anymore. So let me get into this, the shorter program. That was one thing. And two, I didn't want to work in congregational ministry. Sure. Uh, but this whole course was like on the topic of like, uh, it was it was actually like intro to young adult ministry in the digital age. Oh, sure. And so what was so interesting was like, I have this professor who by Presbyterian standards was very cutting edge. Sure. By sure. my standard as, you know, as a young man who has had Twitter since I had a flip phone, <laughs> like, like I'm talking, like I texted to tweet. I was that girl. I was cutting edge, baby. Oh yeah. I texted to tweet too. Do you remember oh. hashtag FB at the end of it? So it would post your, so it post to Facebook. Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, so I do. Oh my God. What a time to be alive. Um, but it was one of those situations where I'm like, oh, you see this as a tool to grow ministry rather just right. as a tool to connect with people. Yeah. Because there were some really, really interesting points that came up in this course. It was just like, uh, it was because it was all geared toward people who were going into ministry and how do you leverage right. your internet presence to like connect with more people. But I'm just like, well, that's guys, just- that's the problem. Right. I think that the struggle so many people have had this year is that we, and I mean, granted, it's a very specific circumstance, but like so many people had to move very quickly to try and, um, you know, transition. Everything online, make try to make it, try to make a, as close to a Sunday morning experience as we can get. But here's, but the problem with that is that like, and I I sort of talk about this at the end of the book. Mm -hmm. It's like, if you, if you expect life online to be this exact replica of what you can experience offline, then you're going to feel like something's amiss. You're going to be disappointed, Mm -hmm. you know, but if you recognize it as its very own sort of distinct Mm -hmm. thing, yes, as new opportunities that life offline doesn't have as well as, you know, like there is real loss too. Mm -hmm. Um, But then, you know, and don't just dismiss it as this sort of like inadequate substitution either. Then I think there's, you know, I think there's real opportunities opportunity there and um i so i'm a product of a lutheran education i went to a lutheran undergrad i teach at a lutheran school now and so i'm i'm gonna show my my sort of history here but my advisor as an undergrad was a dietrich bonhoeffer scholar and um you know, he, so he was a theologian, um, Lutheran theologian in Germany at the time of the rise of, of Hitler. And he, um, believed that Christians should live as if there is not a God. So in what he meant by that was that, um, he doesn't think that Christians should live sort of expecting God to intervene in human affairs, rather like it's up to us to work, to discern God's will and then, you know, act as, as God's agents for peace yes. and stuff. That's mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, um, obviously I don't believe in God, but I do think that when it comes to life online, like, I don't think we're going to resolve these debates about whether or not the internet is real or fake or whether or not it's, you know, sort of better or worse. But I think in, in the short term, we should live as if it is real. Um, while we're continuing to have those debates, we should strive to bring mm. the same sort of approach that we would bring to any other part of our lives, not to right. see it as this tool to, um, you know, simply like, I, I think what a lot of people see this, the kind of zoom church right now is like, well, we're doing this as a holdover until we can get back to the real thing. And it's like, you know, why you? not? Well, why not try to make zoom church, you know, to look at what it actually, what opportunities it offers mm-hmm. and, and try to make a particular experience online that maybe, you know, will give people something that they couldn't get offline. Yeah. Uh, and, and certainly like from the perspective of, of access, like mm-hmm. that, you know, there's a lot of people who can't get to church on a Sunday morning for a million different reasons. Yeah. Who might be willing to, you know, click through in, into a Zoom and sort of check it out and see what's going on. Right. And if you're just treating it as this kind of like temporary fix, you're not gonna 
actually support people who are looking for support in that moment in the meantime. And that's something that I find to be very interesting because like if you are using it as a tool, like you said, as a tool for connection, because like I'm with you, like I think the internet is neither good nor bad. Like it's like, you know, it's simply a tool and it can be used, you know, for whatever purposes the person who's using it will, will, will to use it for. Um, the uh, what I found as I was like finishing up my degree, like like I focused a lot on like what online ministry was, because like I call myself a digital pastor because other people started calling me that, and I'm just like, ah, oh, that's great branding. Well, <laughs> um, and uh, I, I started really thinking about well, what is it to create value and connection for people online. And um, when I was doing my research, um, Nancy Bayum, God, what does she write? <sighs> See, this is why I, you know, this is where my, my, where my COVID brain has been. Like, because <laughs> like, I, you know, I wrote a phenomenal final thesis. I'm like, you know, did an entire hour lecture on it. Can't remember like the two people I, I cited the most right now. <laughs> I'd love to say that any like, anything going on with me is COVID brain, but honestly, it's like, this is the brain I have. Yeah, actually, <laughs> yeah, let me just own it. This is my ADD brain. Like, if I haven't, like, if it hasn't, like, been in, like, my blood, I'm not going to remember it off right. the top of my head. I can tell you exactly what they said. Yeah. And what they found is that when actually, like, asking people and asking individuals about their interactions online versus in person, it's just like, okay, rank the quality of these interactions between a person-to-person conversation, a phone call conversation, a conversation over text message or chat. And they were all pretty much ranked the same with email Mm -hmm. being a little bit below that. But like the quality of conversation, apparently, according to the people engaging in it, was about the same. And I I had come across this while I was working on the book. That's great to hear. Um, Mm -hmm. It reminds me of a a study that I came across like right as I was finishing the book. It just felt like this godsend, if you will. Um, it was this new study that came out of BYU. Um, it was an eight year longitudinal study. So it came like just in time. <laughs> um, and it, I found it so helpful because there's all this, all these doom and gloom studies that we see suggesting that the internet makes us lonelier, more isolated and disconnected, more unhappy. But this study found that, um, so they, they did it over the course of eight years. So if they looked at people using the internet over the course of eight years, the same people, and they found that people can spend the exact same amount of time online and have very different experiences and that it all comes down to sort of how intentional they're being about yes. their internet use. Yes, and yes, so yes, yes. someone who's sort of, uh, and in the book I talk about the difference between like deep play and sort of um, shallow play. And so deep play is like the imagination games I played as a kid where we were creating characters and we were you know, developing our relationships through play. Shallow play is like what happens when I'm at a, you know, if I go to a casino and I'm sort of, you know, hitting the the slot machine over and over again, kind of hoping to win. And I, I'm like, just one more round, one more round. And, you know, we currently, our platforms, and I, this is, again, something I get into at the end of the book, our digital platforms are shaped by um, private companies that are motivated by profit. And so they don't Mm. care about what kind of experience we're having online. They just care that we're spending more time online. And the easiest way to keep people sort of hooked is through the shallow play, getting them angry, Mm. getting them upset, keeping them clicking and scrolling. And so, you know, 
we need to transform these systems first. Right. But that doesn't mean that we can't make individual choices in the meantime, mm-hmm. while these sort of imperfect systems exist. And again, we really need to take a systemic approach to this, obviously. But yeah. online, you can engage, and I, and I have, and, and so many of the people I interviewed for the book and talked to over the years have found the internet to be the space for deep play as well. Um, and so, you know, I, I think that we, at least for me, um, I try to say, what can I do right now in this very imperfect system to try and have the kind of best experience possible, the most connective, the most sort of reflective experience online. And, you know, for me, that involves being a little bit more intentional and mindful. I mean, it, it is, it's like climate change. It's like, I can recycle all I want, but until these, you know, 100 biggest corporations that are responsible mm-hmm. for the majority of pollution, like until exactly. there are these systemic changes, like climate change is not going to be, can't, won't be addressed by my recycling. Mm-hmm. So on a systemic level, like me becoming more intentional about my digital life doesn't change the problems within these platforms. But it can change my experience of exactly. online life. Exactly. And, you know, where does change begin? Like, I don't, you know, mm-hmm. it happens on the, the sort of grassroots systemic level. Like, I think that I've learned, you know, when it comes to my political life, that, like, I can see a lot more impact on the sort of local level, you know, than I can on the national level. The presidential election doesn't do much you know, I mean, it, it matters, it's significant, it has real consequences, but it's, you know, there's so many huge factors at play in these sort of national elections that are beyond my control, like the money, the, the money from corporations that, you know, infuses our elections and, you know, but on, on the local level, mm-hmm. I can, I can get involved in, and I have gotten involved with the, the DSA, the Democratic Socialist Alliance. Yes, here. come on, DSA card members. <laughs> yeah. Come on, comrade. And, and you know, I can I can have much more of a an influence and and, and an ability to be a part of affecting change um, on the local level. And so, I can't do anything right now about the way that Facebook runs their company, but I can make choices about what my experience is like online. Mm-hmm. I I can, you know, be more yes. mindful about it um, mm-hmm. in the meantime. So, and I think that's like whenever I'm working with my clients or anybody that's really like to take that same, the same mindfulness that we try to practice in every single part of our lives and bring that to our online spaces, because it's like um, something uh, a course in miracles teaches is I'm never upset for the reason I think it's one of the, the mantras. And I, I keep, I keep that in mind. So like it taking that mind, that mindful idea of like, okay, this dude, this douchebag online, you know, called me a faggot on Twitter and I'm pissed about it. Why am I mad? Well, I'm mad because he said something mean to me. And I'm just like, okay, Kevin, yes, you're mad because that was like, but do, who is this person? Who are they? Mm-hmm. What are they doing? Mm-hmm. Are they, and the reason, are, why are they lashing out? Likely they got nothing better to do. And they're, they're like, this lashing out is a is a, an attempt at connection in some way, right. even it's if it's not a negative you, connection. Really, and it's just like, oh, so if I can change my mind 
about the way that I even allow my energy to be spent on the internet. And it is energy because our brains can't tell the difference between digital space and physical space anyways, which is also why when we see all these shootings, our brains are traumatized. Yeah. And we don't well, realize it. One of, the, one of the biggest things I've gotten out of being in consistent therapy for the last three years mm-hmm. is that when I am sort of like in a disagreement or something, God, that's such a Minnesotan way of putting that. Like, when I'm having a disagreement with somebody, <laughs> yeah. we're, just, um, we're, not, we're not yelling, we're just having a talk. Yeah, but I, what I do now often is I'll be like, hey, I just need to like step away from this for a second and like mm-hmm. just take a moment. And in that moment, I kind of am able to like actually ask myself what's going on and specifically like what's going on in me. Mm-hmm. And then I can come back to the conversation with a lot more self-awareness and accountability and be like, hey, so this is what's coming up for me. Here's how it relates to like my past traumas, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And it just helps me navigate it so much better. And I think what happens online sometimes is we get stuck in that sort of slot machine, mindless kind of play. Yeah. And we don't step back and say, hey, like, what am I doing here? What's going yeah. on here? Because like we oh, get points I'm- if we win. Exactly. And the way that we... Um, uh, do you ever, uh, Nadia Bolt Weber said in a conversation one time uh, that like the, the, the game of progressive politics is like you only get points if you tear your friends down. <laughs> yeah, you, know? you, gotta, prove, like, you gotta prove that you can like be critical of your own, but like not yourself or like only yourself in mm-hmm. certain ways. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Uh, no, I mean, I- But it really I, does like it hits that slot machine in the yeah. brain. For sure. And and so what I'm trying to do more now, just for myself, is kind of step back and say, okay, like, what is going on here? And so this book really is like the the result of me stepping back for like several years and being mm-hmm. like, okay, what's going on here? Yeah. And and I hope like, you know, I, I don't, and I, I don't try to, like this book is not a, um, I think I even say this in it, like it's not a 10 simple steps to like figuring out how to be mm-hmm. more real online. No, I feel but, like you're, I feel like what it is, it's like you kind of give a map for, mm, what's the way, like personal practice, a way to develop a personal practice online around like how you engage and why you engage and like what it can actually do for you. And like, I think what you do really well too is like using your own experiences of like being a part of evangelicalism and being a part of these like you really take the book not just from like the digital like talking about living in digital spaces but like how this actually applies how historically systems have been used before and how this system is now like being hijacked when it was originally a space for marginalized people Mm -hmm. like yeah really like you'd plumb the depths on this shit to say like y'all this is not our a lot of this is not our fault but Mm -hmm. it is our responsibility to figure out how we're going to do do this going forward that's uh, thank you see i you just said in like two seconds what i've been like trying to say for an hour so (laughs) (laughs) that's my see see that's my gifting that's my gifting as an enneagram eight it's not mine this book is like actually i mean and i hope I hope for like a reason, (laughs) not because I couldn't, because we cut actually, I mean, I cut a lot from the book, but it's longer than what we originally were envisioning in part because it's such a huge topic. But, um, you know, I, it's, I love that you said maps because, you know, as you know, there's Mm -hmm. this chapter where I use maps as this kind of image as a way of making sense of our digital life, because 
you know, I wanted to understand how cartographers take these complex three-dimensional terrains and sort of reduce them into something that we can understand that's, you know, to navigate those spaces. And so mm-hmm. it's a process of selection. You know, you can't, the map can't show everything that's on the territory it's depicting or it would be the size of the territory that, you know, you have to sort of choose what you're showing and not showing. And I, I was sort of originally looking at maps as, as this image to kind of use it to understand how we go through a similar process online of what we sort of choose to bring to digital space and what we don't, because we can't bring our, everything from our offline lives to the internet. But what I ended up discovering is that, you know, we sort of look at maps as these kind of neutral depictions of a space. Like this is just a, a representation of what a space is, but maps are sort of created by people Mm -hmm. with their own particular agendas who are guided by conventions and norms of cartography that are shaped by the interests of power. So they're not at all neutral, you know. Not one bit. And similarly, you know, online, we sort of look at these, these platforms as these kind of just neutral spaces, right? But they have their own conventions and norms, and we are shaped by the ways that we sort of use those to see ourselves, to connect with others. And so it's worth being aware of what those things are. And so the book tries to sort of make sense of how we're using these spaces that have these particular conventions that I, you know, I knew nothing about before I started working on this book um, in order to try and, you know, begin to understand. And I mean, this is just like when I became a Christian when I was 11. And, you know, I became a Christian specifically because I was looking for people who were as obsessed with the questions uh, as I was. And I found my people. Now, you know, I also found a lot of other things that weren't great, but I found my people. I found my people and like also like internalized homophobia, but just just like just small potatoes, yeah. Well, the internalized homophobia was already there, let's be real. (laughs) But but there was a a lot more of it, yes. But, you know, I, I found my people, I found the people who sort of cared about the questions, but I also internalized all this other, all these other sort of conventions and norms that I wasn't Mm -hmm. aware that I was absorbing. And the same is true online. You know, we get all kinds of messages about what is important, what makes our lives matter, what makes us significant from what the conventions of the internet sort of move us in the direction of sharing. So if we Mm -hmm. You know, if we sort of see other people sharing certain kinds of things, we kind of get the message that that's what gives our lives meaning and significance. And we start kind of sharing the same kinds of things. And so, you know, we, 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 we often think that it's the kind of big changes in our lives that make us who we are. I mean, I'm as guilty of this as anyone. This book started with me you know, three years ago, or um, yeah, three years ago, moving back to my home state, you know, changing my career, all these things. Mm-hmm. But really, it's the the day in day out practices that shape us into who we are. And exactly. where exactly. And where do we spend, you know, so much of our lives now online. And so all these little things that we do online are building, you know, we're building ourselves into being on the internet, but we're, it's not this kind of neutral space. There are all of these, you know, sort of norms and conventions that are shaping us into who we are. And so we need to, we need to spend time not just stepping back and sort of noticing those things, but also actively mm-hmm. working to kind of reshape our experience online when it's not giving us what we, what we want, when it's not making us feel more like ourselves. Yeah. Because honestly, if it's not making you feel good, why are you doing it? 
because we're desperate for connection, baby. Yeah. And so if yeah. we're going to de- if we're going to connect, let's connect in a way that's actually life giving. And yeah. like, I feel like you, mm-hmm. the the thing you just said that like set my heart up on set my heart ablaze. Um, <laughs> the word practice, because like the thing is like you, I think you and I can both state it's just like yeah, like we this is all you know easier said than done, quote unquote. But also just like, um. Once it is done, once you do have the practice in motion, it's a lot easier to keep up. It's a lot easier to start noticing. Like you and me have both been in therapy for three years and that's how, why we can fucking notice like our feelings. Yeah. And once you're able to notice how you're feeling, notice how like your digital experience is affecting you, you can choose. It's data to work with. Right. And once you can see the data, you can make the choice. And that's the thing about practice, right? Like practice is something we have to keep doing over and over again like there, mm-hmm. that's why this isn't a book of 10 simple steps it's like no this is a lifelong thing like mm-hmm. practice yes. means you got to keep doing it and you're going to do it poorly like 80 percent of the time yeah <gasps> and that's the thing it's just like uh just because you fail to to fulfill like your own ideals doesn't mean that you're bad it just means that you're quite like everybody else yeah exactly and that is not shameful it means that you're quite human and that's lovely yeah no i mean it is not uh it's not a bug that we mess up that we're contradictory and hypocritical like that is that is as you say it's data like Mm-hmm. If I have gained anything from being online, it is that the internet holds up a mirror to me. It gives me a chance to notice things about myself. Like, mm-hmm. oh, I I posted this thing and it made me anxious and I deleted it. Why? Like, mm-hmm. what what was going on there? Right. You know? Or like for me, it's just like, I think about half the shit that I want to say on Twitter, but I don't mm-hmm. because I'm like that's too deep end. people aren't going to get it. And that happened to me yesterday. I said, so, I said, a bad theology will kill you, but a good theology won't save you. And people are just like, what, what do you mean? What oh God, I think I saw that. And uh, I don't remember why I didn't like it because I liked it in my heart. Oh my <laughs> I think it was one of those moments where it, um, it like, where Twitter refreshes the timeline too quickly. I hate it when that happens. It's like, wait a second, I need to, I need to respond. Like, oh my God, I was thinking about that for a second. Give me a moment. <laughs> like I was letting it sink in. But no, I mean, it's, uh, I mean, I think, and I, again, this is, I, I don't know why I keep prefacing with this, like, but I was gonna say this is in the book, but I, um, you know, we, the, the, one of the real, one of the biggest challenges that the internet presents us, which I also think is one of the biggest opportunities it presents us is that, you know, for, for the entirety of human history, we've always been sort of a self partitioned into various spaces. So like the person I am with my mom is different from the person I am on this podcast, uh, at work Mm -hmm. with my boyfriend, like, and it doesn't mean that one of these people is fake and the rest are real or one is real yes. and the rest are fake. Yes, 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 it yes, means yes. that I've always been a composite, you know, of these various selves. But the challenge of the internet is that you have to be a self that can sort of be acceptable for all of these different audiences. Who, are you, who you are on Twitter needs to be able to be seen by your mom, your friends, your future employer, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And and that is that can feel stifling. It can feel like you can't bring your full self to your digital life. But what I think present what where I think the opportunity is here is that it gives us a chance as a as a collective to say like, 
actually, yeah, we all, all of us have always been, you know, this sort of self-partition. We've always been contradictory, hypocritical. Like that is not, again, a bug. That is part of what it means to be human. We learn from these contradictions, these tensions, these, you know, and, and we have an opportunity in having to kind of, instead of like flattening ourselves out and, and mm. reducing ourselves down to the most sort of socially acceptable version of ourselves that every single person in our lives could be okay mm. with, we have a chance to say like, maybe we all just need to get a little bit more comfortable with the fact that we have always been these sort of multiple mm. selves. Um, and, and so yeah. I, I think like that is, that is both one of the biggest one of the biggest challenges that we face online, but also it gives us this, this mm-hmm. chance we haven't had before. Yeah. I, I, one of my, um, I don't know what I call it. One of my little sayings that I try to tell people, and I guess it's like one of the things I try to live into is um, tell the truth to everyone about everything all the time. Oh my God, that see, I hear that and I'm like, that is aspirational, but also it sounds overwhelming. <laughs> yes. And also like not impossible. Um, I, mean, I, I think forever that will be a challenge for me not, because it is like in my DNA at this point to like, you know, like you read from the book earlier, like the mm-hmm. message I got at a young age is like, if you share everything about yourself with someone, like it will be too much for them. Like mm-hmm. no one can, no one. And so you have to sort of assess what someone wants and try to give them, you know, what they can handle from you, from yeah. who you are. And that's what has made the internet so appealing to me because it's, it's a space that really lends itself to that. Um, and I think it's going to be a forever for me, it's going to be a forever battle. But again, it is the internet that has helped me become more mm-hmm. aware of that um, because the internet is a space where that is so possible mm-hmm. to kind of curate and tailor a self to what uh, you think others want. It has just made me more aware of the fact that that's going on. So, yeah. I mean, you know, I... I and I think I being able to admit that we all... Sorry, pursue that, <laughs> like to, to tell the truth all the time to everyone, like if you can do that, I really you have my immense admiration. And also I think you should be studied by science, but, um, but I, you know, for me, I think it's going to be, that that's going to be a lifelong, long, long, long road. Well, I, I'm not going to evangelize you right now. See, this is like, evangelize. I'm here for it. I'm interested. Cause here's what I'm thinking is that, so this idea that we have all of these, I agree with you no matter what we try, like even myself, I'll admit like what I put on Instagram, that is, that is a curation to a degree because I'm not super duper hippy dippy. Like, let me fix your life in, you know, sure. you know, just by changing your mind about it. Like I'm also like, you know, wearing, you know, sweatpants and, you know, smoking a J and like, <laughs> you know, being just like a normal, um, you know, dude, bro, girl you know, on the weekends. <laughs> um, so it's like, yeah, we have all of these different versions of ourselves. And also it's like, I think something that the internet has afforded me is um, kind of like, almost like you said, like being able to do my amateur hour mm-hmm. in front of people. Mm-hmm. And then I keep, I kept asking myself, how do I do this in real life now? How do I take the feeling and the connectedness that I have here, like on here on Twitter and put it into real yep. life. And I, and I think well, that's like, 
So it's like you said, it's like a practice. It's like so many of the people I talked to when I was, you know, so I, I collected a lot of stories for the book. I interviewed mm-hmm. people, um, talk, you know, and, and asked them to tell me about their digital life. And this was like a thing I heard over and over and over again is that the internet can be this space where you can kind of practice a version of yourself that then you can try and bring into other parts of your life. It, you know, you can kind of experiment, try things like amateur night. And that's absolutely something I've experienced. It's like, maybe if I sort of project this self and again, like this curation, all this stuff, this is not new. This is not a, an mm-hmm. internet only phenomenon. We have always done this. You know, I got up in church, I gave my testimony and yeah, it was like what I was trying to be, you know, but those moments give you a chance to kind of like try to live into the person that you're, you're trying to sort of be seen as. And so I don't think it's this fake thing, but I do think like, I think it can be so seductive sometimes. Like Mm -hmm. it, it, again, it, it all kind of comes back to whether you're being mindful about it or not, because Mm -hmm. I can very easily, I'm the master of fooling myself. Like I can very easily be like, Oh, I've projected this self out. Like I am this person now rather than like, this is this person I'm trying to live into, you know? I always, I think about it as just like, um, this, uh, let me, let me organize my thoughts real quick. So, um, one of my clients, uh, that I work with, uh, polyamorous person and they, uh, you know, they're doing quite well, but the thing they always struggle with is, um, I think about my partner with somebody else and I think about them getting the same kind of like love, sex, attention Mm. that I'm getting. And I know that's not really what I want to feel, but that's how I do feel. Yeah. And and I asked the question, I'm like, okay, so what does like the most confident, secure version of you, like the the part, like, is there part of you that at least feels like, actually, I'm so happy that my partner is finding fulfillment, love, sex with another partner, because I know that's good for them. And I know it's also good for me because that means our relationship can grow. Because at my heart of hearts, that's what I know is true. And that's what I want to feel. And I'd be like, what's the difference between acting like that's how you feel and actually feeling it? What's the difference? What if you just like played, pretend, used your imagination just for a little bit? What would that version of you look, feel, act like? What would you be doing differently? Yeah. And so then the question is like, well, then if you would be doing that differently, is there anything stopping you from actually doing that? Right. And so my question then becomes is like, oh, so it, we are the, all these different delightful composites. And also it's like, it's like, it's like you've been saying this entire time, just because it's online doesn't mean it's not real. Yeah. And I feel like, at least for me, it has given me this powerful opportunity, at least like in front of my family, or at least like it's like with my evolving faith of just being able to be like, here is my full tilt weirdo self. If you don't like it, you can unfollow. And I'm not really worried about it because like at the end of the day, like I'm not worried so much about a follower account as I am about feeling peaceful. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? It does. I mean, well, let's be clear. Not every piece of my composite is delightful. (laughs) Oh yeah. I'm a dick hole. Like I can be a real ass. But you know, I do. I mean, it's sort of like we were saying earlier, it's like, Sometimes, and you know, one of the chapters, so one of the chapters uses maps as this image, one uses tattoos to kind of explore the like 
weird semi-permanence of the internet and how that kind of changes the way that we see ourselves. And then one uses games as this metaphor and, and looks at the kind of playful ways that we experiment with identity online. And it's like I was saying earlier with the Dietrich Bonhoeffer idea, you know, sometimes you have to kind of like live as if something is true. Like when I went to the tarot reading and I yeah, sort of yeah, yeah. As if it was true in order to kind of like access what it has to offer you. And so, exactly. you know, I tell people all the time, I don't know if Jesus actually came back from the dead, but I want to live like maybe he did. It could be, yeah. it could be cool. That could be real neat. Yeah. And it's, it's this sort of, um, it's this philosophical concept of experimental certainty. It's like you, like certainty can be, and you know, I, I, the book ends with this kind of exploration of uncertainty, which is one of the biggest things I struggle with online and, or in, in life. And I think is one of the reasons like we go online so much because life feels so uncertain and we're looking for a connection in, in some moment. Mm. Um, but so certainty, it, you know, is like, I think we have to embrace that life is uncertain and that will change the way that we move through the world, including online. But mm. that doesn't mean that certainty is all bad. I think that like I said, there's this concept of experimental certainty. We can kind of pretend for a second that we feel certain about something and see what it, what gifts it has to offer us. So like, I might not feel sure even at the end of, you know, at the end of writing this book that like the internet is, is a, a place that's going to make me feel more myself. But let me go into each time I log on, let me go into it with this kind of experimental certainty that my life online is just as real as every other part of my life and see what see what it has to offer me as a result and that has really transformed the way that i experience life online mm. and that is where i want to say ladies and gentlemen pass the offering plate oh, <laughs> um i also have to i could wax poetic with you on this shit forever i have an appointment oh, to yeah. keep at 11 30 and i'm so mad because i would no no it. i'm happy i'm happy for i'm happy for you and i'm happy for the person who you know you're working with um but i i'm also just grateful for your time i'm grateful for the fact that we were able yeah. to make this work after so many years thank you for for having me on your show and i thank you know you i think for... this is to be continued Yes, I like you a whole lot. I think you're a real neat person. Why <laughs> is someone called Mom? Jesus Christ. Now see, that's real life right there. Oh, <laughs> can I tell you, like this entire morning, I just, I just, mm -hmm. I've just been having these moments and I'm just like, I'm very frustrated. It feels like, uh, and this is what happens when you don't have like that extra fancy podcast money and you just like <laughs> shooting at home and but let me tell you what i just bought a house which See, is like you're 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 further along than me i'm living in this little studio apartment here dreaming uh, of a you know, i don't know about a house that sounds like a lot of work and fixing things and whatever no i bought this thing ready to go i had it inspected and i said i'm not moving and like i don't want to fix anything when i move in um but this what place you need, what you need is a a partner it's you know some kind of partner at some point who's you know what oh my god i want a handyman man in my life. Like, Tim, Jesus, send me a Tim Allen. You know? <laughs> like, Tim was a dumbass, but he could fix a lot of shit, you know? I think that's what the uh, the young people of the internet call a himbo. A himbo? Or a himbo. A himbo. Don't tell me you're new to himbo discourse. Come on. 
No, I've 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 heard of a mimbo, which was a male bimbo. Were they calling it a himbo now? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm so okay. Yeah, like just Google or or search on Twitter for himbo. There is a whole discourse about it. A discourse. Uh, oh yeah. Oh my. I I'm actually happy for you that you missed the himbo discourse. There was like a whole thing at one point this summer, I, which I feel like I've just hallucinated this year. Um, so, Dude. but I'm pretty sure it was this summer. There was like a discourse on Twitter about himbos and the fact that like people like himbos and and is that like are they sort of infantilizing like dumb men or like sexualizing dumb men or it was just a whole thing. But, but anyway, well, what, what I hear is I mean, that's, looking for a himbo. You're looking for a dumb handyman, which I support. I mean, well, the thing about it is, is like, I want him to be the kind of person where like, I'll wax poetic about like something religious or spiritual and he'll be like, hmm, yes. And then <laughs> like, they'll like also, well, have something delightfully more simple to say. And then right. like, I'm an idiot. What am I talking about? I mean, I, exactly. I think we're talking about like different kinds of intelligence here, right? Yeah. Like my brothers um, are like, one of my brothers can take apart a, a computer and put it back together. I could never, right? Mm-hmm. Like, or, you know, they, they've just like built things. They, they both have houses that they're like fixing up and redoing and whatever. And I'm like, um, the sink is dripping in my kitchen and I couldn't even begin to tell you like what to do about that. I know. Oh. See, I haven't, far, I haven't thought this far in advance um, about those things. The thing about me, like I can mow a lawn. I know how to oh do that. Oh my God, I, I, me too. I love, I actually love any sort of like repetitive chore, whether it's like using a push mower or vacuuming or shoveling snow, like anything like that, where I'm just like, just put me in front of a device and have yeah. me do the same thing over and over again, I got it. Yeah, housework down. I'm a great housewife. And <laughs> can I repair that house? No, I cannot. Um, You'd be a great housewife to a Tim Allen. So we're gonna uh, manifest this, we're gonna speak it into existence, et cetera, et cetera. Listen, if your, if your Tim the- Allen is coming, uh, I predict by the end of 2020. Listen, I received this blessing <laughs> from you, Pastor. Oh. Okay, okay. Okay, I adore you. I have to get off the phone. Otherwise, yeah. I will talk to you five ever. Okay. I'm glad that you are so healthy, so wealthy and wise. <laughs> um, I don't know that any of that is true, but thank you. I, well, I certainly know that some pieces of it are not true, but... Um, Listen, I see, you, I see you in your holy instant, in the person that you are beyond the veil. And so I just um, want to say you. that... I, I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I, uh, I, love, I love saying shit like that to people because like, there's a part of me that's just like, Kevin, you know that you're actually, you actually mean that. And I'm like, right. <laughs> I know. And, I'm and like, you know what? I'm... And I celebrate that for you. I celebrate you. it. Um, okay. well, look, we will continue the conversation on Twitter. Yes. It's going to we'll be We'll keep good. having that real life talk. Um, but thank you for, thanks for having me. Thanks for giving me thank a chance having. to talk about this project and, and just to connect with you. Listen, if you ever want to talk about anything else in the future, feel free. Before we hang up, tell people where they can connect with you and get your book and all those like podcast things. <laughs> sure. Um, well, I'm on Twitter way too much um, at Chris D. Stedman. Stedman spelled like Oprah's partner in life. Hell yeah. Um, and that's also my, my handle on Instagram, Facebook, which I don't use as much, but I'm still there. Um, and then uh, my website is chrisstedmanwriter.com. And uh, the book is out October 20th. So it's coming real soon. 
Mm-hmm. Um, it's 11 11 make a wish. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it's not 11 11 here for the record, well, but keep going. I'll, Sorry. I'll still make a wish. Praise um, God. And, uh, and yeah, you can, you can check out the, my author website or just go to irlbook.com to learn more and pre-order if you're interested. Thanks. And you're interested. You're <laughs> very interested. Well, you and you've actually read it, which is not true. It's of, good. Like, people yet, so it's actually it's a really good book. It's like there are some parts of it where I'm like, my heart's breaking a little bit. Like um, it pulls on heartstrings. It's very good. Oh, thank you. Your your endorsement means the world. I'm gonna put this like it pulls on your heartstrings. It's very good. Yeah, Kevin Garcia. Exactly. I'm, I'm gonna put that. I'm gonna put that on the paperback edition. Fuck <laughs> it, yeah, All right, I'm out. I gotta get ready for this call. You the best. I'll see you sometime soon. I'm sure, maybe on the internet. Okay. Have a good day. Goodbye. That was my conversation with the fabulous, incredible, beautiful, very attractive Chris Stedman. You can check out all of his work at chrisstedmanwriter.com or go to irlbook.com and get the book now. It's out now. I was supposed to have this episode out on the 20th, but again, Mercury's in Gatorade, baby. And, you know, sometimes shit happens and shit has happened. But you know what? I said it's my intention to get it done by the weeks and you know what it is it's friday at 3 37 that means this is going to be up by 4 30 which means mission accomplished bitches uh. anyways oh <laughs> uh, i'm delighted like listen if you can be delighted in yourself in the small victories you know you're gonna be okay so that's how i know i'm gonna be okay because i got you guys here with me anyways uh chris stedman uh i love you you're you know I know I don't know you and that might be a weird statement to hear from someone you don't know that well but um, just accept it okay don't worry about it Uh, (laughs) uh, you can connect with him across the internet at Christy Stedman I think that's all the things besides credits Um, A Tiny Revolution is supported by 127 people right now on Patreon and if you don't know what that is it's the easiest way to support the creatives in your life that are creating the shit that matters so if you liked the podcast or you want to get more stuff like it uh, if you like me appearing on other people's podcasts if you like the videos that will be coming back as soon as election season is concluded because I don't know what to do right now for a video during election season because uh, you know uh or anything else um you know i think the other things that i love doing like i take one-off calls from people to do spiritual direction i um i'm talking with church people just pro bono just to make sure that they have the tools so you're not just supporting things like uh, the podcast or the videos or me making content on the internet Uh, you actually are supporting actual people um in that by helping me pay my bills which is really wonderful um and additionally if you want to check out the gofundme i'm going to be posting that in the show notes as well as posting that um on my link tree which is on my instagram so go follow me all over the internet um chip in if you can i'd be very grateful uh and i love you so thank you for listening to another episode of a tiny revolution my name is kevin garcia and until next time please remember to take your meds move your body shake your ass a little bit i like that 
you know, I usually say move your body in a way that feels good, but I'm gonna say shake your ass a little bit because I think we need to, collectively. The collective ass needs to be shaken. Because whether, I can't remember who said it, but just like, if there's not dancing in the revolution, I don't want to be there, you know what I'm saying? So, hold fast to hope, beloved. Know that everything you need is inside of you. Every single bit of uh, worry that you have is not gonna last forever. And every bit of suffering your experiences, that you're experiencing is, is impermanent. Remember to reach out when you need help. Remember to take time for yourself to breathe in and breathe out. Um, I know I talk about self-care all the time and I'm so fierce about it for myself because at the end of the day, I've got to feel good if I'm gonna give my best to the world, baby. And so show up when and how you can, give when and how you can, and love as fiercely as you can. This has been another episode of Tiny Revolution, and I will talk to you BBs next week. So take a deep breath in and breathe out. All right. See you next week, babe. Bye.